think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're gonna throw me out of here, fellas. You're gonna get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like, in Argentina for River Plate or Boca Juniors, or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matter look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr, my co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 376 of Low Limit Football on this 11th of January, 2023. I'm your host, Joey Sello, and tonight, the world suffers another great loss as Gianluca Vialli, legendary Italian striker and coach at Chelsea, as well as the Italian national team, loses his battle with pancreatic cancer last week. Manchester City are knocked out of the Carabao Cup with a 2-0 loss at Southampton. Real Madrid advances to the final of the Spanish. Super Cup eliminating Valencia. They await the winner of Barcelona and Real Betis. 45-year-old Gianluigi Buffon is on the losing end of a 2-1 Parma loss against winners Inter Milan and left for dead Juventus. Now finds themselves in second place, seven points behind Napoli and looking to trim that lead even further on the weekend at the Maradona. We're going to discuss that match and much, much more with our very special guest, Daniel Lucci from the All Juve podcast, who is coming to join us in just a little bit. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. What's going on, my man? I'm good, Joe. I'm good. Glad to be here. Obviously, glad to really be speaking to our guest here. That's obviously, we mentioned a lot about this really big Serie A race where everyone thought that maybe Napoli was going to run away with it. But after seeing, you know, some of the results that are going around the league over the last few days, I think it's starting to really change its tune into what uh, what the Scudetto could swing into. Yeah, it's amazing how it's tightened up. And, and if you haven't looked, uh, Napoli were, um, were were flying free and clear at the uh, at the World Cup break. They drop a 1-0 to uh, Inter uh, just coming back from the break. Juve have not lost in eight straight. Um, and I think of those eight straight, five of them were 1-0 victories um, over their opponents. AC Milan also tied with them at 37 points. But they've dropped some points here, having two draws in their last four matches. And, uh, you know, even Inter, you know, if you want to want to make a race of it, Inter's 10 points back of Napoli, but certainly always going to be dangerous there. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it, you know, I don't want to get too deep into the woods here about it, but uh, I, I know for me as a Juventino, I did not expect Juve to be here in this position. And it's been kind of ugly. Uh, you know, the 1-0 victories uh, have been coming fast and furious, but, you know, this is this is 
typical Max Allegri, right? I mean, this is how he does it. 1-0 victories and and let's move on and it's going to make for an, uh, a continued exciting match in the or a race in the Serie A. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens and you know, obviously we're we're right into the winter, you know, right into these crucial campaigns where a lot of teams are playing in domestic competitions, international competitions as well. Um so there's there's just a lot going on and it's going to be interesting to see which one of these teams are able to survive all of these various competitions and where strength and depth really plays a, a key role in all this. We're going to talk about depth in just a minute with another team uh, in another league, but let's jump into the show. My friend, uh, I gave trivia last week, so uh, it is your turn, my friend. Yes, and to start off this year, I'm going to give you a hard one, of course, oh, as always I would. <laughs> <laughs> so this week, we saw Aaron Ten Hag become the fastest manager in Manchester United history to reach 20 wins with the club, doing it in 27 games. My question to you is, how many games did it take Manchester United last season to win 20 games? Oh, wow. I think, I think, wow. Okay, I'm going to have to, so they, they got the 20 wins in, I'm sorry, how many games? They got to 20 wins in 27 games this season under Ten okay. Hag. How many games did it take them to get 20 wins last season? Part of me is actually sitting here thinking, did they get to 20 wins last season? <laughs> they did. They actually did. Yeah. So, that's, so that's, that's part of the question. But yeah. it did take a bit more than 27. That's your hint right there. All so. right. Fair enough. <laughs> so we'll get the we'll get the answer to that trivia question in just a little bit. Let's uh, Let's go into opening thoughts. And uh, we, we wanted to focus on Chelsea this week. They've been front and center in quite a bit of news, uh, especially this week with the addition of Joao Felix from Atletico Madrid. They uh, bring him over on a loan for the rest of the season for, I believe, the figure was £11 million. Um, Roberto, correct me if I'm wrong on that one, but I believe no, it was. Right. It was right. Yeah. And... Um, they also suffered the big news that uh, Christian Pulisic, or well, Raheem Sterling went, went down with an injury, which is going to be minor, but uh, Christian Pulisic goes down with a knee injury, which they are labeling his return as months. Um, don't know the extent of the injury, what, what the actual injury was at the moment, but Chelsea, you know, looking at them sitting, uh, you know, quite a ways down the table, 10th, which is certainly an unusual spot for them. Um with the amount of players they currently have uh, on injury, I looked it up. It was um, I had I'd seen it just a minute ago because there was a tweet by NBC Sports um, that uh, labeled all the uh, all the injuries they've had. It's just it's a ridiculous amount. You look at Christian Pulisic, and I'm looking for the injury list right now. Christian Pulisic, Raheem Sterling, Reese James, Wesley Fofana, Edward Mendy, Armando Broja, Ingolo Kante, Ben Chilwell, Ruben Loftus Cheek, which I think. Loftus Cheek um, is getting ready to come back. It was either Loftus Cheek or, or Reese James. I can't remember which one. And I believe, like I said, Sterling's injury is minor. But so many notable players that are injured. Um, also, so many notable players that are coming in. They talk about uh, Joao Felix coming in. They are pursuing Marcus Turam from uh, from Germany. They are also, uh, by reports, have Christopher Nkuku already signed, sealed, and delivered coming in the summer. Todd Bully definitely splashing the money around here. So we're going to look at this from a few standpoint, a few perspectives. But my question to you, Roberto, and I want to open this up with the discussion is your thoughts on the Joao Felix edition, what it means for Chelsea, what it means for Joao Felix too, um, and even what it means for Atleti. Yeah, I mean, it's a weird one. It really is. I mean, you know, looking into someone like Joao Felix that, yeah, we've heard some rumors about him and his kind of bust up with Diego Simeone at, at Atletico Madrid kind of became a, a factor and a, an influence in all this. But you, you do realize I think Chelsea were in a situation where they needed to do something that um, is able to fix, you know, kind of their situation, like you said, with all those injuries that are going on. And, you know, as we talk today, you know, with Graham Potter making the announcement, 
in his press conference saying that Christian Pulisic was going to be out for a couple months. So it just even causes more concern about where Chelsea is going. Yes, I mean, you can obviously argue that the start at Chelsea hasn't been, we could say start, but like we're literally in the midway point, hasn't been to the best of situations. They're still in the Champions League. You know, then they have the, the round of 16 tie against Borussia Dortmund. So they have that to give them a bit more of a, of a chance to maybe go into a deep run. Not to win it, I would say, but definitely go into a deep run. But I think it's safe to say that uh, I don't think they'll be really contending for anything in the Premier League. I mean, yeah, they're, they're what, nine points off, sorry, eight points off the final Europa League spot. Um, you know, of course, they're they're still in the, um, they're out of they're out of all the competitions domestically, the FA Cup, the EFL Cup. So really, that in a way, they technically don't, don't have nothing to play for in this way. So it's going to be interesting to see how Chelsea get through this. Um, and in terms of Joe Felix, I mean, yeah, I think he needed that kind of new, you know, environment, kind of a, a new new beginning, I would say. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, it, it's going to be interesting to see how he sets up in a Grand Potter side. I think Joe Felix is a player that, you know, maybe hasn't been utilized to his best, and that could be the reason as to why perhaps he hasn't flourished at Atleti. He hasn't been a bust. He hasn't been a bust. I would, I, I disagree on that. Uh, yeah, maybe you could tie that in. Oh, he came in for a huge uh, transfer fee and perhaps hasn't, you know, become the star that everyone thought he would be. But it was always going to be that, you know, difficult when you're playing in a Diego Simeone side. And I, I don't think that he was able to utilize him to the best that he could be. Now at Chelsea, which, you know, could be a, a very offensive side when needed to be, I think it gives Joao Felix hopefully that freedom to roam around and, and be the main guy up top. You know, something that, you know, past players haven't been able to do. Like, you know, obviously Lukaku's not there anymore, but he's on loan at, at Inter. But like maybe someone like Kai Havertz or even in the past like Timo Werner, uh, Sterling, Aubameyang. You know, now we get someone that, you know, could be very versatile, play as a winger, plays an attacking midfielder. Um, and, you know... I feel skeptical about this, honestly, Joe. I, I really do. I, I mean, part of me wants me to be wrong and thinking, yeah, this is going to be a success and he's going to do well. But I just fear that with what's going on with Chelsea and kind of this plan that they're going through, especially with like all these players that they've had and all the spent all the money that they spent, and it really hasn't been working out. Is Joe Felix going to be the exception? I, I don't know. I'm I'm not convinced, really. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm kind of with you on that one because it's. It's really tough to say, you know, when you factor in all the injuries and you factor in the newness of Joao Felix coming in, and we know he's a fantastic offensive player. He can produce, he can create. We, we know this. We've seen him do it. We've seen him do it with the Portuguese national team. We've seen him do it at times at Atleti and, and even prior to. So I think it all depends on how Graham Potter inserts him into the mix here, right? I think... Would it, you know, for me, I've always pictured Joao Felix as a, as a number 10, kind of the, the second striker role. Do you know what I mean? Just plays a little bit deeper. That's, that's always the, the spot I envision him in. Um, is there, is there that spot for him at Chelsea? Um, I think that's kind of one of the first things we need to look at. Does he fit the mold? Does he fit the formation that Graham Potter wants to, wants to, uh, work with? Or does Graham Potter change to, in, to play to Joao Felix's strengths? Because we know that he can, he can do those things. Um, how fast can we get him incorporated into the mix, right? Because you know, I'm just looking ahead here at the uh, at the schedule for Chelsea. They've got they've got Fulham coming up on the weekend. They've got Liverpool coming up in a couple of weeks. They're going to have Fulham twice. They've got West Ham. Then they go to play the Champions League, and then they're going to come back to Southampton, who just knocked off Manchester City. And then they've got Spurs, and then Leeds after that, which we know definitely likes to play with uh, with their ears pinned back and forward. So 
they've got a really hard stretch here, and to incorporate a player tactically in in this tight of a window, I, I think is going to be tough for them. I mean, do you see them? I, I think obviously for me, for Potter, I think he's really got to make the the Champions League run a, a little bit more of a priority, in my opinion. I think if he can get to um, you know, get a little deeper into the quarterfinals, the semifinals, even of of the Champions League. I think it would really turn this um, this disaster of a season. You've got to remember, you know, Roman Abramovich, Thomas Tuchel, all that stuff has happened in this window, and uh, and so there's been a lot of turmoil off the pitch, on the pitch, in the locker room, uh, you know, in the in the financial books, uh, in the transfer windows. I mean, there's been a lot of stuff going on. That for Chelsea to be in tenth place and be in the knockout stages of the Champions League, you know, might be a credit to them. So I think for me, I think maybe because not that the Champions League would be easier to win, but from the position they're in, it would take less to win that competition for me. I think that that might need to be the priority to have a really good run at the Champions League, build off of that, maybe start to sneak your way back into the top four, top five of of the Premier League. Although I don't think they can get there at this point. But try to build on something positive moving forward. I mean, what are your thoughts? Because to to pressure cook Joao Felix into this mix with this many important games coming up between now and March um, is is going to be very difficult, isn't it? No, it definitely is, and I think this is no blame to him because I think you know I don't think anyone in his position should be giving the given the pressure on on being able to be the savior, and he's not. He's not the savior of the Chelsea side, and and I think you know this is a side that you know. Uh, Assuming that Todd Bowley's kind of ambition and his plan is to really get them into the way that they that they are, you know, I think a, a firm statement was that was him resigning as the uh, the interim sporting director because I think you know you would want to put someone in a position that has the experience that know what it takes to to be in a that can run a football club like like Chelsea and and the and the expectation mm-hmm. that comes into it as well. So I think when you have that. I think you can see that, you know, Baldi's trying to paint something a bit different, maybe for this year, calling it a one-off, saying, okay, yeah, well, we, we weren't able to achieve anything this year, but next year is when we really start to to put in everything. And, and you know, I, I, everyone's talking about, oh, Potter out, Potter out. Like, no, I don't, I don't think it should be the case. I think give him one season, give him a side that will allow him to build the side that he wants to, if he's given, you know, something that maybe Tuchel wasn't able to do in last summer but if he's able to get that kind of idea in place of a team that he wants to build and then try to utilize that all into next season where it's kind of the make or break then you can judge it and i think that's why joao felix comes in for the season because you know it gives him a bit more time to i wouldn't say adapt but get an idea of what english football is like see what he's like in the the preseason then obviously at the start of next season and then go from there. I mean, it's it, for Atleti's case, this is going to be the one that's going to be interesting because, you know, no one's going to pay the amount of money that Atletico Madrid have paid for him mm-hmm. as of yet because I think it's it's astronomical. And honestly, I think for Atleti, I'm convinced that they're still going to be in a position where maybe Simeone's not there anymore because if, if and if that's the case. That might be a good thing for Joao Felix because then he can come back and be kind of a, a new person or at least get that esteemed confidence that he got at Chelsea, come back to Atleti, and you know maybe it's a different type of club at the time. But we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But again, for me, like you know, just final words on this whole thing mm. about Joao Felix and just how Chelsea are acting. 
Very questionable. I, I, I really have my doubts. I really hope I'm wrong because I do like Shaw Felix. I think he's talented. I think he has every right to be one of the best players in the world if he's given the chance to demonstrate his, his potential and his talent. But I really don't think this move is going to go well for him. I really do. Like, straight to my heart. Mm-hmm. Hope I'm wrong, but... I don't know. This is just how I feel. I think you bring up a great point, too, because I think many are talking about uh, on the athletic side that Cholo Simeone is probably on his last leg there. It's it seems like the you know, the, the shine is worn off. Um, there's talk of them moving Rodrigo DePaul, somebody that they were really high in and brought him in now World Cup champion. Um, and Joao Felix signed a contract extension before all this happened. So there is, I think, very good potential that Joao Felix moves for six months. They get rid of Simeone. They bring in a coach that's a little more. Uh, to the style, uh, attacking style that uh, maybe Joao Felix would want, and then Joao Felix comes back because there's no option to buy on this loan, and uh, and and then he moves on w- with his career in Spain. So it's going to be interesting to see how what happens for both sides. Last factor that I want to list here, and ESPN tweeted this about ten hours ago. Um, if you include the rumored Christopher Nkuku transfer fee, which I don't know how much it is, but I'm sure it's big bucks, Chelsea Football Club has, have spent over four hundred million pounds since the start of the season. Todd Bowley definitely throwing money around. So let's table the discussion on Chelsea Football Club and let's move over to Italy because uh, we'll be joined by Daniel uh, Lucci from the All Juve Cast podcast uh, to t- discuss uh, Juventus, Serie A, you know, Max Allegri out, Max Allegri in. We're going to de- definitely hit on all that. So without further ado, the Daniel Lucci interview. And joining us now on Low Limit Football from the All Juve Podcast, Daniel Lucci. Daniel, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you on, and uh, and I'm really glad to have a Juve guest on because you know I can <laughs> lose my mind and go down many rabbit holes here. But let's start off first with something that I mentioned in the opening thoughts to, uh, in the uh, intro, the monologue. We look at Juve now, second place, seven points back of Napoli. Napoli dropping points. Juve's won eight straight. Many of them one nil victories. What are your thoughts on what Juve has done here, really, without Chiesa, without Pogba, um, and with this big break in the middle of the season? Yeah, uh, thanks, thanks for having me, guys. It's a, it's a pleasure. Um, but yeah, to touch on on your question, it's it's been a kind of a night and day from what we saw at the beginning of the season and compared to last season um, over the last eight matches. Um, you know, they're defending well. They're they're getting. They're able to score a, a crucial goal late on, which, you know, sometimes it might seem a little lucky, but sometimes maybe it's all part of, you know, your strategy. I guess we'll we'll leave that up to Max and we'll let him decide. But um, it's it's been a great turnaround. I think there is still lots of work to do for sure. Um, and like you mentioned, you know, with Kesa and hopefully Pogba Vlaovic coming back, you know, fully, uh, fully fit shortly, it, it'll be a, a great boost. We'll see what happens coming Friday. Um, I don't know about you, Joe, but I'm a little nervous for that one already, and it's uh, it's only Wednesday. Oh yeah, De- definitely. You know, there's so much on the line. Uh, you know, in that match, we're talking about all this momentum, but you've got to go to a tough spot in Napoli. You, you know, you got to play at the Maradona. Mm-hmm. They're going to be looking for you know to make up for these losses. They're going to look to keep that hold on first place. We we took the Serie A away from them a couple of years ago. Um, if you think back, you know the, the winner of the Winter Championship was Napoli, and then all of a sudden Juve made that nice run in the second half of the season, end up winning the uh, Scudetto. So I'm sure that's kind of in the back of their minds as well. So there's there's a lot cooking on this one on Friday. Absolutely, absolutely. I think if if Napoli pull out the win, um, you know they're getting their confidence back and they're gonna try to steamroll all the way to the finish line. But if Juve managed to pull out a result away from home, like you mentioned, who knows, man? Anything's possible at that point. 
So I wanted to really go into that because obviously, like you guys said, this is really the big match to watch uh, on Friday. Napoli against Juve, obviously a big game, regardless of the circumstances between the two sides. But, you know, I just want to really look into Napoli in this case. You know, kind of mentioned Juve just now, uh, Dan, but just really going into Napoli because obviously it's a side that, yes, you know, coming from the winter break, they played a few friendlies and, you know, I, I don't like to give too much uh, attention to friendlies because, you know, anything can happen in that one. But, you know, they lost both of them. They lost the game against Inter, which was a tough one to begin with. I mean, obviously, any of those games, especially against the top tier ones, they're always going to be tough to play. Now they take on Juve. And, you know, again, this is a side that has really been flying around and and really, you know, have done so well. They've only lost two games overall, the game against Inter, like I said, and the, the game against Liverpool, which, you know, they've already kind of qualified for the, uh, for the round of 16 of the Champions League. But, I just really want to ask, you know, obviously they got back that win against Sampdoria uh, a couple days ago. But, you know, do you feel that that loss against Inter uh, at the San Siro really gave them that kind of idea of saying that, you know, we've had such a great start right now. And I think Spalletti kind of is able to say to these guys, like, look, you know, now we're going back to Earth. Now we have to demonstrate that we are a side that could indeed contend for this Scudetto. Do you think that that kind of loss kind of motivated them a bit more and maybe gives them the momentum for the game against Juve? Well, you know, that's a that's a great question because it could either go either way. Either it's going to motivate them to finish this season hard and, and you know, play, play every game like a final or it's going to kind of mess up their mentality, their, um, you know, their morale a little bit. It's tough. Sampdoria is not the team, you know, they once were many years ago and, you know, hanging on to Serie A for the past couple of years. So I wouldn't really say that's a big win for Napoli. That was an expected win. But again, um, this game on Friday is going to be huge and it'll be telling to see what Napoli shows up. Um, like, like you mentioned, uh, the game against Inter was it's a tough game. Don't get me wrong, but Napoli did not look like the Napoli we've seen um, prior to the, the World Cup break. So either Juve is going to put some pressure on them and Napoli's maybe not going to know how to handle it. Or we'll see what we saw at the beginning of the season and, and Napoli could really do some damage to Juve. Um it's it's really tough. We've seen Napoli crumble many years. I'm sure Joe will uh, will gladly remind remember some of those memories. But it's uh, it, this game I think will be crucial to how this season turns out. Now I'm looking at another team that literally is on equal points with Juventus, and it's Milan. Now Milan, of course, defending champions. You know they have every right to defend their title and to be in that kind of race, which, which they are, of course. If Juve are in that race, then definitely Milan are as well. Absolutely. But coming from the the World Cup break as well, you know they they drew Roma. You know right from the even just from a couple of days ago, you know that they drew Roma. They lost today to Torino in the in the Coppa Italia. You know, in a way, you know, do you feel as if though for this Milan side, and you know, they still got the Champions League to play. You know, they got the the Supercoppa Italiana to play against uh, Inter in, a, in in Saudi Arabia as well. Looking at the schedule that they have, you know, they still have to play Lazio, Inter. Uh, you know, they they have some tough matches to go. So what do you feel about them? And do you feel that for them, they're under even more pressure to um, to really go in and, and try to contend for something? Because I think in terms of morale, they definitely need it now, especially after losing in the way that they did in the uh, the Coppa Italia and, of course, drawing to, to Roma uh, as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think, to be honest, out of the three teams, I think the most pressure is probably on Milan, um, you know, the more pressure you're you're trying to defend your your trophy from last season. We haven't seen them at their best compared to what we've seen last season, in my opinion. I don't know. Maybe things have gotten a little stale. Maybe they're missing 
you know, a, a different option up top. Uh, Giroud's a great player, don't get me wrong. I, I love the way he plays, but maybe he needs a break. You know, last year you would have someone slide in. Maybe Zlatan was a, was available for the odd game. I don't think we've seen him at all this year. So um, they, they definitely have some pressure on them. Do I still think they can win the, the Scudetto? Absolutely. But they're definitely going to have to play a lot better, especially defending late like we saw against Roma. They'll have to do a lot better than that. Now, switching gears, obviously, to the other locker room in Inter, you know, we saw them drop points in a in a match against Monza, thanks to a Dumfries own goal. <laughs> and, you know, really, you know, three points behind Milan as well. And, and, you know, I think, you know, they definitely have the quality and the talent to really contend for it. But, you know, I'm curious to think, you know, is time really running out for Simone Inzaghi in this side? You know, do you feel as if, though, like for you, that this Inter side kind of really missed their opportunity in the games that they played? And, you know, obviously they've lost... A couple of games already, uh, five last I checked here. So it's it's been kind of a roller coaster of a of a season. You know they had to sweat it out to go into the uh, into the round of sixteen of the Champions League. They have a really I would say difficult tie against Porto coming up as well. I mean, mm-hmm. do you feel that for Inter? You know they could probably view the season as like a lost one. I mean, yeah, they still have to play the Coppa Italia, like I mentioned, the Super Coppa Italiana. So they could still win silverware as well but you know how do you view them and their situation that they're in this season i think inter has kind of their fans have kind of you know they kind of let their fans down uh to be honest they have a great team on paper um probably one of the you know top two center backs in in the league you know at least scrignard and and bastoni are definitely capable of some great things um their issue obviously has been not being able to get Lukaku the way he was a couple of years ago with the team. And I think that's really hurt them. He's been injured, I understand, but um, they haven't been able to to kind of get that chemistry and, and that that extra gear they had under Antonio Conte. And I think that when you compare Conte to and Simone and Zaga, you, you really notice a big difference in in their in the in their approaches for sure. And and I think that's kind of what has hurt Inter a little bit this season. I, I do think they're going to fall short of the Scudetto. Top four should be, uh, at this point, a realistic goal for them. So I'm going to jump in here because I'm glad you brought up the name Antonio Conte because I wanted to go back to Juve and talk about Max Allegri. Um, especially this year, I've been a Max Allegri out guy. Um, he's he's always wanted to wedge this 4-3-3 formation into this team and play that way, and they really didn't look that great in the 4-3-3 you know, throughout the season. One of the things that's happened over the last five, six matches is that he's played, uh, he's changed them from a 4 3 3 to a 3 5 2 or a 3 5 1 1 as kind of a hybrid of it. Um, you know, and you look at the personnel that he's got in the back. The, you know, he's, he's got Bonucci, who's played in a 3 5 2. If you remember, I used to tell everybody the real BBC was not Benzema Bale and uh, Cristiano, it was Barzali, Bonucci, and Chiellini. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, so th- they had that masterful defense over the years with Buffon behind them. Um, they bring in Bremer, who comes from Torino, who were playing in a 3-5-2. So he's familiar with the system. Danilo is extremely, extremely flexible. He's probably one of the MVPs and a good reason why they name him one of the captains of the team. He can play in a 3-5-2. Daniel Rugani, uh, he came through as a 3-5-2 player behind the BBC back then in those days. So these guys are all familiar with it. And you look at Juve. Juve are the best defensive team right now in the Serie A. They've only conceded seven goals in 17 matches. So, you know... Is Max kind of finally figuring it out, saying, hey, I can't wedge the 4-3-3 anymore. I've got to play these guys to what they are built to. And that was Antonio Conte's 3-5-2. I think it, it's taken them a little longer than than we had hoped to figure this out. And I know a few of 
you know, the AJC members um, were, were screaming for a 3-5-2, especially mm-hmm. once we saw all the injuries come through at the beginning of the season. Um, it's taken them a while. I, I, it's done. It's gone well for us this season because, like you said, we have the versatility. We have the guys that are familiar with it. Long term, though, is my concern because I don't know if that's something we can rely on um, going, you know, into next season or the year after. If Max does end up staying, you know, that's still a question mark. But especially with the likes of Kesa coming back and Vlaovic and, and and things like that, I don't really know if a three five two would would benefit Kiesa most importantly. And you want him in his in his best position. Although, like I said, with the injuries and the lack of full back, fullbacks we have this season, um, it just made so much sense to 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 adopt this, you know, for the season. And and unfortunately we didn't do it earlier because um, Max has got the guys down, you know, the defensive aspect of the game down pat for these guys. It's just we need to work on the offensive side a little bit. And and we've seen that, you know, we struggle to score goals at times. But we've, we've definitely trended in the right direction, which is, you know, we've, we're getting hot at the right time, which is obviously very important. So I'm glad you kind of answered my second question before I asked yeah. it because, no, it was going to be about Chiesa. Um, because Chiesa, you know, structurally is more suited to playing a 4-3-3. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think with Vlahovic uh, and Chiesa's skill set, I really think that Chiesa might fit in that uh, that three five two or that three five one one, which then leads you to the question: What happens to Angel Di Maria, right? Because he's been the one playing in that second striker role. So, um, does does the return of Chiesa force Max back into that four three three? In your opinion, or do you think that he kind of works with Vlaovic, Di Maria, Chiesa, and kind of brings everybody back together um, since all of them have suffered injuries over the season and really mesh that 3-5-2 between those three five, those three players rotating at the top. Yeah, I, I think we'll see a rotation of the three just so, um, you know, again, we don't we want to avoid as many injuries as possible going in, you know, to the last turner of the season here. Mm. But I would love to see, you know, Vlaovic, Di Maria and Kesa, you know, share the, the top three uh, spots. But I don't think that's going to be, you know, a possibility this season. Again, like I mentioned earlier, the fullbacks are a real issue. Quadrado's not a right back. Sandro was not the left back we saw, you know, three, mm. four, five years ago. So the the back three really helps them. Quadrado gets to be higher up the pitch and, you know, he has his issues both offensively and defensively, that's another whole other situation. But Sandro at least can sit a little deeper, and, you know, and playing that on that left hand side of uh, the back three. Although I do like for me personally, I just prefer Kiesa as a winger, whether that's left or right. I just find him more um, more impactful coming in off the wing rather than a secondary striker. But um, potentially, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Max playing him as a, as a wing back. Uh, at some point, just so we can get Di Maria Vlaovic, you know, up there, and then Kesa come in and off the off the one of the wings, um, you know, obviously in a more of a deeper uh, defensive position. But he's going to have to get a little creative because Napoli's going to, well, you know, first and foremost, the, the Napoli game on Friday is going to be a tough match, and we need you need you want your best players out there, right? You know, mm-hmm. There's no doubt about that. Do Do you see Kesa getting a full ninety against Napoli, or do you think he comes off the bench like he has been? I think he comes off the bench. I could see maybe coming, depending on how the match goes. Obviously, maybe around you know uh, the you know forty, like you know he gets about 35, 40 minutes, depending mm-hmm. on how it's going. I, I don't see him getting a full ninety just yet. Yeah, I don't either. Um, and you know, you you look at this team, and 
it's it's almost like they're going to have a transfer window without having a transfer window because they're bringing Chiesa back like we just talked about. Paul Pogba mm-hmm. is going to be due back uh, any time now as well. He started training with the team. What is what does the return of Paul Pogba mean for guys like uh, Miretti, uh, maybe even Rabio or Locatelli? Because for, for me on the weekend, Locatelli did not look as good as I would wish that he looked. So you know, what does the return of Paul Pogba mean for some of those guys? Yeah, I think. First and foremost, it, it puts the youngsters, you know, maybe towards the bench. Um, obviously, I don't see Pogba coming in right into the starting 11 right away, but it will, you know, reduce some of their playing time. Rabio, I feel like, is a lock for Mr. Allegri, you know, one of his probably his favorite midfielder. Locatelli, if we keep seeing him, you know, played, I, we all know he's capable of much more. I, you know, he had an off game, uh, like you mentioned, but I'm hoping that means he's going to have a bounce back game against Napoli, and that's where we need him the most, obviously. But I think not only will Pogba help this midfield, maybe help Locatelli, help Rabiot, you know, unlock them, get them a little more in open areas, certain situations, especially for the forwards as well. Um, but it's going to be tough to see some of the youngsters get a lot of playing time. But, you know, you bring in Pogba, you pay him all this, you know, this big money and, and you want his creativity in there. So, yes, someone's going to have to suffer, but hopefully, you know, his his playing does the talking on the field, and that's that's what's important. Yeah, looking ahead on on Juve's schedule, they've got Napoli the coming up this Friday, um, and then you know skipping the Coppa Italia, they've got Atalanta, they've got uh, a revengeful game against Monza that they've got to get something back there, mm. uh, Salernitana, and then a tough one at, uh, against Fiorentina at home before they go back to Europa League playing uh, against Nantes. Um, so looking at the Napoli. Um, the Atalanta match and even the Fiorentina match, those three matches, you think they need nine points? Um, you know, is, are we in that situation where we need big numbers against these big teams or if they stumble, um, you know, maybe with a draw, you know, can they still survive and chase that Scudetto title? That's tough. Um, because you, you know, you have Lazio, you have Inter kind of, kind of right there nipping at your heels. So I, in a perfect world, of course you'd want all nine. Um, I think, I think I would probably I'd be happy with seven, you know, two wins and a draw. I think I would would I would take that any any given day. Um, you know, you're keeping you're keeping up your standards, you know, with the top three, the top two, whatever it may be. Um, but I just you know we haven't since the Lazio game, you know, before before the World Cup, we haven't we haven't been really tested yet. So I think that's why you know these next three matches like you mentioned you're playing you know a lot better competition than maybe what we were used to in the new year and that will be telling on what kind of Juve we we get do we see the one that we saw at the beginning of the season or do we see one that we've seen in the last eight matches where you know it's suffocate them and and you know hold a clean sheet and hopefully score a goal we're hoping well I'm hoping for the latter but I guess time will tell. Yeah, I'll take I'll take plenty of boring football and one nil victories because in the <laughs> end it, it, it's the points that matter. You know, it doesn't matter That's what they right. look like. Um, last question: Obviously, the fallout from um, the scandal that's going on, the controversy with Juve cooking the books, playing playing paying players under the table, which um, I, I forget who uh, who I listened to on one of the radio shows that said that you know it's almost impossible for Juve to play pay these players under the under the table because. They're a publicly traded company. So, you know, washing that out of the mix with the improprieties that have happened and obviously the fallout of Agnelli stepping down, Nedved stepping down, the entire board stepping down. We're obviously looking to rebuild the front office again. In your opinion, because plenty of rumor has been circulating about this, um, is Alex Del Piero part of that front office coming into the new season? I would absolutely love to see 
ADP back, back, you know, in the stadium where he belongs, you know, what he's known for, the team he's known for. Um, and even now, when you, when you see him on TV or in interviews, whatever it may be, he just, the way he, he carries himself, he, he communicates the way he talks, like he's just, he's a professional. He, you know, he has all the fixings and, and the, the mentality for the club to, to be some sort of director or president or, you know, whatever offer, you know, whatever position they want him to take. But I definitely would love to see him, you know, come back and, and join Juve in, you know, whatever capacity. But I think it would be a great move for the fans, the team, the the players, you know, the morale for the players, having a club legend back with the club. I think that would just, it would, it would be a great thing to see for sure. No, no doubt. Daniel, I want to thank you for taking the time out tonight and joining us on the show. Um, I personally know where to find your work because I follow it all the time. Um, but for our listeners, where can everybody find your work and, and everything you do with AJC? Yeah, so uh, all Juve cast, um, follow us on YouTube, all Juve cast. Uh, we have, you know, daily pods, um, you know, pre-match, post-match. And, and Alberto usually sometimes even does um, live live commentary for the matches. Um, you know, news updates, short videos, all sorts. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at uh, AJC or myself, uh, Daniele Luch underscore AJC, and you can find all our all our stuff there. And even if you want to buy some cool AJC merch, we have, you know, Marquisio t-shirts, Del Piero, everything, Baggio, all that stuff. So thanks again, guys, for having me. It's been a blast. And uh, Forza Juve. Yep. Next time you guys make, uh, I'm looking for you guys to make the Freddie Church Nikki Beans T-shirt so that I can buy that one because that one's going to be. <laughs> I will awesome. put a word out for sure. Don't worry, Joe. Fantastic. Thanks, man. Again, thanks for joining us on the show. Really appreciate it. All the best to you, and uh, we look forward to having you back soon, my friend. Thanks, guys. And special thanks again to Daniel Lucci from AJC for joining us on the show, Roberto. We've got some really big matches coming up this weekend, so we definitely wanted to get this podcast out and going before these matches hit. So let me jump into match of the week, man. Starting with Friday, like we've been talking about all along, the big one in Italy, Napoli-Juve, 2.45 p.m. Obviously, the Scudetto um, will take much better shape or will become a little clearer probably after that one, we think. Um, then go to Saturday where we have the Manchester Derby, Man United, Manchester City, 7.30 a.m. Get up early for that one. Then we're going to jump to Sunday in Spain, Almeria and Atletico Madrid at 10.15 a.m. We're going to see how they do without Joao Felix uh, coming, you know, moving on to Chelsea. Then we have the big London Derby, Tottenham Hotspur, Arsenal, 11.30 a.m. Yes, I know we're giving you two England matches. Germany doesn't come back till the 20th, so we're going to give you a little extra there. And the last match to close out your weekend, Rena PSG, 2.45 p.m. Roberto, earlier today, uh, Lionel Messi scored a goal in 2023, which means he scored a goal every single year since 2006 in his career. Incredible stat, so... But your trivia question was not Lionel Messi. Your trivia question was Manchester United and Eric Ten Hag. So uh, why don't you lay it back on me, brother? Yeah, let's do it again. So Eric Ten Hag um, became the fastest manager in Manchester United history to reach 20 wins, doing so in 27 games. Looking at the last season, how many games did it take Manchester United to win 20 games? You know, I, I, at first I had to ask you, did they did they even win 20 games last year overall? Which the, the hint was yes. Um, so I'm going to guess that it wasn't like too, too far off of this number, but it wasn't, you know, it was, certainly wasn't 27 matches. So I'm going to I'm going to give you a, a, a number. Give me uh, over or under and then I'll give you one more guess. OK, yep. Go All for right, it. So I'm going to go for 35 matches. Under. OK. 31. 
No, no, no. Under as in like your your. Oh, I'm too under. low. It's higher. You're too low. That's what I mean. It's higher. Sorry. Higher than 35. Let's let's go to 38. Higher. Wow. 45. Is that the last one you want to put? Yeah, that's my final answer. 45. Last season, sorry, Everton Hogg got 20 wins in 27 games this season. Last season, Manchester United got 20 wins in 49 games. My goodness, that is crazy. What a number. Um, and, and here they are now, you know, running up the table and they've got a, a big one against a wounded Manchester city coming up on the weekends. Fantastic stuff to watch. And, uh, it all started with getting rid of Cristiano Ronaldo, I guess. Right. <laughs> we could talk about that some other time. So, uh, without further ado, my friend, I have nothing left on the docket. So let's hit the closing music. Let's do it. All right, here we go. So for episode 376 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Daniel Lucci for joining us on the show. Next week, we're going to go back through these big matches on the weekend and give you the rundown as to what happened, how the Serie A Scudetto race got affected, as well as much, much more. So for episode 376 of Low Limit Football, I am Joe Ucello. I'm Roberto Rojas. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night. <laughs>